2019, a ragtag group of internet wrestling fans came together to record some silly shit. They survive now on cocktails as soldiers of hilarity. If you can find them and you can get their schedules together, you can listen to The A-Team. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again for the grapple update here on Rogue Opinions. I am Jimmy Baxter. As always, I am joined by Scott McLeod. Scott, Happy New Year. Welcome back to the grapple update. Happy New Year. Uh, full title is uh, Scott McLeod, B A M A C A E O E I E I O, all the other letters. But, the third, uh, Esquire. Yeah, all that good jazz. I'll make sure to have that written down for your next intro. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was, it felt like a, like a good holiday season, at least on my end until, you know, our country decided to start having a fight with itself more yeah. on that later, I'm sure. Um, and, but yeah, we were talking a little bit off air about how, uh, our new year's was going, but overall, how was your holiday season there, Scott? Uh, yeah, really low key kind of enjoyable season. Uh, I uh, I got some cool uh, games for the PS4, like Injustice 2 and Avengers. Let me come and settle into. Uh, people may have seen on YouTube. I, I mentioned it once or twice. The Star Wars uh, trivia gauntlet. We did it for for charity. So I've been watching a lot of Star Wars stuff. We uh, the aim was to raise 400 pounds for children. First, we managed to raise just over 500. So that was good. But uh, yeah, and then also I got my bachelor. So that's why I. I uh, I mentioned the BA stuff at the start, you know, because they're funnier when you explain them. They absolutely are. BA, MA, MSNBC, CBS, <laughs> BBC, you know, the whole deal. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I totally get what you're saying, but it was going good until everything happened. I, I've even seen memes like, can we, I, I've had my seven day trial of uh, 2021. I'd like to cancel my subscription, please. <laughs> it was a nice, like, three or four days until, like, I don't know. The world just decided to continue being 2020 all over us, because um, now 2020 is a uh, a descriptor uh, instead of just mm-hmm. a year. Um, but yeah, it was yeah. a good holiday season across the board. Uh, most of most of the wrestling was was very very good. Uh, interesting stuff, uh, and we're going to be getting into all of that. We're going to be covering NXT's New Year's Evil. Uh, AEW's New Year's Smash Night 1. Is New Year's Evil a two-night deal, or is that just uh, a one-night nah. thing? No, nah, because uh, obviously the first night of New Year's Smash got moved a week for reasons we'll probably talk about, but yeah, New Year's Evil is just a, a one-day thing. So you had three New Year's, day, New Year's kind of team shows in one, because you had AEW, NXT, and obviously Japan. But uh, next week, uh, they are starting the Dusty Classic, so they are like doing stuff for next week, even though it's not really a special episode like this week's was. Right, right. I'm glad you brought up New Japan there, because uh, before we get into the main bulk of everything, I wanted to get your opinion briefly on the idea of uh, Jay White possibly coming to either WWE or NXT uh, or even AEW, because he's a, he's a rather big star who sort of rose to prominence fairly quickly over the last couple of years 
in New Japan, a uh, former uh, IWGP World Champion. Um, he's been in there with practically everybody. And whether it be storyline or not, uh, he declared that New Year's Dash was going to be the final time that you saw Jay White in a New Japan ring. Um, but if you had it your way, uh, where would you see Jay White go and where do you think he's going? Yeah, because like, I'm a big fan of Jay White. He's one of my favorite, well, my favorite non-Japanese wrestler New Japan currently has. Uh, like the match he had with Kobe Bushi, I was rooting for him through the whole thing. I wanted him to see him win the two titles. If anyone hasn't seen the the video of him where he says that maybe this is it for him, seek out and watch it. You're watching a man you know, have a mental breakdown before your eyes. He's, he calls himself Jamie and not Jay, you know. And obviously now this means a lot of people think, oh, is he going to WWE? Because I believe it'll be like around about the 30th of January his contract ran because that's when Kenny's uh, came up when he officially left Japan and went to AEW. And... Uh, like the very last day of January on the thirty first is when this year's Rumble is. I think it's the latest the Rumble's ever actually been. So it leaves that room for it could show up. But and then also there's the avenues that people aren't talking about the idea of a movie going to AEW and possibly Impact because you know you got the Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers going back and forth between both promotions after what happened at the end of AEW. But I think even though some people would say he's probably good enough to go over. On the right the main roster, I'd actually like to see Jay White in NXT. I'd like to see what he could do over there. So I'm, I'm kind of torn. As much as I'd like to see what it looked like, I want Jay White to stay in Japan because uh, I got saw some screenshots of uh, Tommy Rishi's post match comments after New Year's Dash because it was him that pinned uh, Jay White uh, and the, that big tag match they had on New Year's Dash. And he basically said to him, like, Don't let this loss get you down go away, get stronger, and come back to try and get revenge. Uh, basically saying, like, don't like leave, come back at some point when you're stronger, and I'll give you a rematch, because uh, some people who keep up with Japan will remember it was Ishii beating Jay White that cost him a spot in the G1 final, so I'd like to see another match of those two battering each other. That's the thing, it's just a New Japan fan in me. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I'm, I don't catch a lot of New Japan uh, throughout the year, uh, but I mean, I'm always interested to see what these like big main event, young main event talents are always like ready and willing to do. Uh, personally, if I had it my way, I would see him go to NXT, maybe have those matches with like Finn and Timothy Thatcher and a, a few other people that like really could give him a good match. But I think for the long term, he definitely needs to go elsewhere. Uh, I'm not saying AEW uh in particular, but he, I feel like maybe he should be one of those people that sort of bounces around where like, maybe he just gets a year in NXT or WWE and then he moves to impact and AEW, And then he maybe goes down to Mexico and does triple a. And I mean, granted, I don't know how much of that is possible in like the new normal that we live in. But yeah. honestly, like even if he comes to America and he stays with new Japan, but he starts uh, the like doing like the new Japan America stuff, I would fucking kill to see Chris Dickinson versus Jay White. I think those two could have an absolutely unbelievable match uh, because Jay White is, uh, he sort of thrived in New Japan because of that New Japan style. And Chris Dickinson, AKA the Dirty Daddy, is one of those <laughs> guys who can bring like a big, messy fight feel out of a lot of different competitors and with Jay White being as like 
in crazy shape as he is now, the two of them, I think, could like totally have a match that like separates California from the coast and separates that 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 whole state out into like an island in and of itself just because of all that. I don't know, meat slapping uh, together. Um, yeah, I think I think it would be a, a good like loss for Japan for for New Japan if he went. It'd be interesting to see what Bullet Club did. You know, I'd like to see if anybody's going to take over. I'd like to see Kenta take over as the leader. But then again, it was kind of like, was this the fourth rotation in terms of leadership and Buddy Bullet Club at this stage? Because, you know, we had AJ leaving and Finn leaving and people like that. Again, I would like to see him stay in Japan. But, you know, whatever he decides to do, he's got plenty of time too. If he wants to, like, bounce around, as you said, because I'm pretty sure he's only, like, 28 years old. And he, like, he's competing in what is apparently the longest Tokyo domain event in history just a few days ago. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, whatever's next for Jay White, I'm sure that the wrestling world will be watching. I certainly will be watching. Um, like I said, having very, li- I haven't gotten around to Wrestle Kingdom yet. I do want to see Okada versus Osprey. I heard that match is just unfucking believable. And, of course, Kota Ibushi winning the, um, the dual championships and then having to defend them the next night. Those... Um, those definitely sound like an afternoon well spent. Uh, but speaking of time well spent, we are going to start things off with uh, our, our just uh, before we get into actually this week, I almost forgot. Um, John Huber, a.k.a. Mr. Brody Lee, a.k.a. Luke Harper, a.k.a. Big Rig, a.k.a. a perfect specimen of a human being, unfortunately passed away uh, on the 26th of December. Uh, leaving behind his wife and two children. Uh, they did have uh, a, a lovely, lovely tribute show for him on AEW. Um, I got very emotional during it. I'm sure that sentiment is shared by many, many people. Uh, we're not necessarily going to break down the show at all. I don't think that that would be uh, right or fair. I think we're just going to talk about it a little bit, maybe mention a couple of people who really stood out. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with uh, some of your thoughts first, Scott. Who do you think like really stood out performance wise, and what was the thing that really made you sort of um, feel the emotion of uh, what was going on that night? Uh, well, I hear about like the news of his passing because like I was very late at night over here. I think it was time difference when I heard about. It. I think it was like well after midnight. I was going to go to bed and I was going through Twitter and I seen people sharing the graphic that AEW shared, like the date saying announcing his death. And the, and like it took me a second, I wasn't looking at probably looking at it. And then I probably later, like, I seen the news that he was that he had passed. And it really, it was really, it really shook me. Like, it really just came out of nowhere. Because, like, I'd only been talking just a few days earlier with friends, like, God, where's Brody? Brody Leaping, you know, I've not seen him since the since the dog collar match. Actually, I haven't seen the dog collar match. and Honestly, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch the dog collar match because I don't think I can really bring myself to watch it. Because, like, I remember there was a show in, in, in Scotland. Sorry if I'm going off a tangent, but uh, there was a show uh, here in June 2019, I believe it was, where uh, I was going to go to this ICW show because there was a big title-for-title match. And I didn't end up going. And then the winner of that match, Lionheart, passed away, like, just a couple of weeks later. And, like, I... I had access to ICW on demand, and I still haven't gone back and watched that match because I just can't bring myself to watch knowing it's someone's final match. And obviously, then seeing the outpouring of support across WWE and in AEW, like I'm not just saying this because obviously it was a tribute show, but looking at the the episode of Dynamite that they did, uh, and I, I totally get why they did this. 
but I don't think there was a bad match on the entire show. I mean, like they really hit made uh, John Silver and Alex Reynolds look like stars in their match, even like doing the bit with the papers and John Silver got to use the uh the the discus clothesline, you know, try to forget the uh distraction of uh Jericho blatantly yelling, Eric Rowan, Eric Rowan as Excalibur's clearly trying to keep on the right path and say Redbeard so they don't get sued uh, about it. And then also he came back with a sign. And, you know, I'm not somebody who cries at wrestling. I can definitely get emotionally invested in wrestling. I can recognize when things are very upsetting. I don't really know of moments in wrestling where I've, I've cried. But watching this full episode of, of Dynamite and some of the tributes and the videos of people talking about their memories of, of him, uh I, I welled up at least two or three times. The thing it was very difficult for me to get through. Well, it was a hell of a show, wrestling-wise, and then also the tribute at the end, giving the belt to his son, retiring that version of the belt, uh, and now and then also the news of their signing his son uh, to a contract. So if he wants to wrestle later on, he can, and also so the family is financially taken care of. Uh, I know I've went to a rabbit hole here, but it was like. It was very emotional. It was a very well done tribute show. Uh, I don't know if you've seen there's a video of, of Eddie Kingston afterwards, like addressing the locker room and talking about that. He goes like we don't like that we don't just pay tribute to him tonight, we pay tribute to him every night going forward. So you know he won't be forgotten and, and things like that. And you can clearly see the emotion of how the entire roster. Yeah, yeah, I did I did see that video and that's um that's really that's who Eddie Kingston is. I mean, I've only been around maybe once or twice uh, post or pre-show while Eddie Kingston has been on a show. And that's Eddie. That's how he is. He, he that's how we are kind of on this coast of the United States of America. There's always somebody saying something at the end of a show. There's always sort of like a little like for the people who stick around uh, in the locker room, at least there's always, you know, somebody who stands up and says something uh, post show, especially when it's like a big memorial show or it's like a benefit or something like that. Something always gets said like that. And uh, Eddie Kingston is like from this neck of the woods, obviously. And uh, he, um, he, he, he definitely showed that he was able to pay respects for John and his family and also keep it within the storyline on the show and also have his his testimonial his um his video testimonial where he said uh that as long as you uh carry on your father's memory and you live his teachings then he never really dies was something that was um very powerful for me having lost my mother a few years ago and uh just it it really spoke to me that that sort of sentiment is now there i mean a lot of competitors came out that night on the show and really gave it their all anna jay um, nearly breaking down um, during her match, uh, her tag match was very powerful to see Eric Redbeard coming out with the sign and seeing all that emotion and John Silver crumbling to his knees after hitting the discus clothesline. Uh, a lot of big moments. Uh, as you said, they've retired the original TNT championship and gave that to negative one who uh, has been training. He had that promo segment with um Marco stunt on dark, which apparently he wrote himself. Um, you could see Tony Khan, although he like obviously hadn't slept when he was on television that night, um, that he was very emotionally invested in making sure that that family was taken care of. So, I mean, kudos across the board to everybody. I think 
what really got me was when Cody was in the ring at the end of the night and he was about to bring out negative one and he had to stop what he was saying to just sort of, you know, sort of push past the emotion Mm -hmm. and get the promo done. That was very heartwarming uh, to see because uh, obviously Cody being a first time father that's coming up in his life, I'm sure that he's got a whole new well of emotions that's swirling up and to see a great guy like John Huber pass away, who by all accounts was the nicest fucking guy in the world. Um, I think it was Dash Harwood. Uh, yeah, da- am I, I think it was Dash Harwood who said that he and his wife unfortunately experienced a miscarriage and that they only shared that with John and his wife and John and his wife would call just to check in. Um, Bryce Remsburg in his testimonial just being a mess uh, and talking about his friend. I mean, the whole night was just perfect. Uh, the only other example I can think of is the Owen Hart show. Um, mm-hmm. But like that even had like a cloud of like over it. You know what I mean? Based on the way that he yeah. went. But this was just an outpouring of love and respect for an absolutely by all accounts, great human being. And uh, it was one of the most perfect shows I've ever seen. It is, it is on a hard drive and it is staying there probably forever uh, because it's definitely something to go back and watch when uh, you need to feel good about the world a little bit. And it did make me generally feel pretty fucking good about the world uh, that day that, you know, they broke down all those barriers and you saw on WWE TV where Drew McIntyre opened the show. It's Monday. You know what that means. And it's, you know, it's, 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 it sucks when somebody this great goes, but it's great to see that even such a splintered sort of uh, fan base like wrestling came together and really brought the love together. Yeah. I think with Cody as well, like you say, like being expected for, and also the fact that he, lost his father a few years ago and obviously we saw in the aftermath how hard that hit him. He obviously knows thinking about how negative one must be feeling being much younger than Cody was when he lost his father. And also similarly talking about new fathers, like yeah, John Moxley he was the first to give comments about it on the show. And talking about how like John Huber would say to him, like, Oh, just wait till you're married and you've got a family and John would be like, Oh no, I like doing my own thing, like doing whatever I want, whenever I want and now, look where John Moxley is now. He's now expecting his first kid as well. And, yeah, like, the fact that this is spread across, like, WEW liking WWE social media posts related to John, and he see Xavier Woods and Kofi look, being very emotional on Raw talk, talking about it. Even, like, in Japan, like, the very first line you hear on English commentary at the start of the main show for night one of Red Kingdom is Rocky Romero saying, it's January 4th, and you know what that means. That's incredible. It was just, it's, I mean, it, it's just an incredible thing to see, uh, that the borders sort of break down when this like larger than life, uh, sort of, uh, incredible person in wrestling. I, I've been fortunate enough to work in wrestling for a few years now and you, you do meet good people. Um, but from, even from people that I have worked with, they have stories of running into him before he was on WWE and whatnot. And um, something I saw uh, to sort of bring it back to, you know, more wrestling centric talk is um, that I saw that the first and last pinfalls that uh, John Huber took on television were to Cody. 
Um, and that's just that that's uh, like a special sort of relationship between workers as far as I understand it. Um, I mean, granted they didn't know that the dog collar match was going to be his final match, but, um, you know, it, 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 it's just like so incredible to see those sorts of things happen. Um, where, you know, now, I mean, you even saw like Brian Pillman jr. Was there standing and holding, um, negative ones like shoulder during parts of uh, the show and stuff. And that's a guy who's particularly sort of unfortunately, but particularly like adept at living in that sort of, I think he was around the same age when his father passed. So, you know, he's going to have a certain perspective and I'm sure that they're all going to take their time and making sure that this kid gets trained. And when the soonest he's able to wrestle, I'm sure that he will wrestle, especially now, um, but you know, like, I think I speak for all of us here at Rogue Opinions when I say rest in peace, John Huber, um, you were a light, uh, in the world of professional wrestling and, uh, I don't know, man, see you down the road, as they say. Yeah, totally. You know, I, uh, I was thinking about it and I think like, have I got seen Luke Harper alive a lot? Cause like, like live as in Ritzy wrestle like, cause I've been in a fair few live and I thought I must have been the only one that stuck out in my mind of all and was like I remember going to see Smackdown when I was taped in Glasgow and I believe the main event was the Wyatt family of Harper, Bray and Orton against Ellsworth uh, Ellsworth, Kane and Orton no, Ellsworth, Kane and Dean Ambrose or something like that uh, so just getting to see him in the main event and I was just thinking about it and like, like God, I remember when everybody wanted to see him in the main event of, of WrestleMania 33 alongside Orton and Bray and like the opportunities there, and you know, WWE got some shit for like people were sitting on posts at WWE Twitter about like why didn't you pick them better? And like, the hell are they gonna do? Like everybody as if they're not gonna be around for long. Like that's no way to book a wrestling show. But I mean, it was nice that Louis, like the tribute said they even put a compilation of like his best moments on the on the YouTube, like winning the Intercontinental Title from Ziggler, which I still maintain in like the modern era. Evan V. Ziggler, TLC 2014, one of the best, like, one-on-one ladder matches WWE's ever done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I I watched a Cultaholic video earlier today where they were talking about longest matches, and one of the matches on there was uh, Luke Harper versus uh, Dean Ambrose from, I think it was 2017, like, they the the match where they're having the Chicago street fight, they end up in the car and then like an hour later they show back up to the show and they they just continue the match and stuff. So technically the match is like an hour long. Um mm-hmm. and that like I was just like, they rest for a fucking hour on pay-per-view? Are you what? You know? Um I always really dug uh the stuff uh that Luke Harper did when he was there. I always was sort of one of those people that was like, put this fucking guy on television. Like, he's so good, and I, I loved his Intercontinental Championship reign as much as people sort of forget about it. Um, and I think the real bummer about it is that he was really he was really at a place where, like, he is he was that main event guy, you know, and he was bringing the entire Dark Order up with him. Um, look at uh, Colt Cabana on the show. Colt Cabana wrestled one of his best matches in a long, long time, especially since joining AEW this week, uh, uh, that week with... Um, uh, during the tribute show and it, it's just it's incredible to see i hope they keep them around and they keep them you know doing stuff you know just because i would like to continue seeing 
the Dark Order be the Dark Order, even though their leader is no longer around. And I hope that, you know, even Evil Uno and Stu Grayson or the, the Beaver Boys, I hope somebody gets a title or something just so they can carry yeah. that momentum forward. Yeah, and we're saying, uh, I think like when the tributes were coming out, John Moxley may have said, like, how the month before that, I believe that was in 2015, that match where they were still in there, because like, the month before they did the, the Lara match at Mania, where uh, Arthur did the powerbomb to Ambrose to the, the ladder and nearly killed him, and they talked about how they went over doing that spot, because they said like they wanted to basically be remembered or do something memorable in the match, and now, obviously, there's been quite a few highlight packages of like ladder matches in that spot for a while did keep popping up. So basically, like, yeah, whatever, kill me, by put me through this ladder, but just as long as we do something that stands out. Yeah, that's that's uh, an incredible thing that these that these competitors all um, they they all take risks and whatnot. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, as as unfortunate as it sounds, like this was just uh, a happenstance that this happened to him, and he was there one day and gone the next. And uh, like I said, rest in peace, Brody Lee. Um, hopefully the Dark Order maintains your legacy moving forward. Um, but speaking of moving forward, uh, we're going to talk about uh, NXT's New Year's Evil uh, from last Wednesday. Um, start out, uh, from, of course, from the Capitol Wrestling Center. We start out with um, the host of the event, uh, Dexter Loomis, um, sort of uh, transforming into the host version of who he is. He drew all the match graphics uh as like caricatures which i thought was really interesting and fun like keep that aesthetic forever like i i love that like just ha- hire the guy so he can draw cartoony versions of all the wrestlers like all the time uh he flips the switch and the show begins in earnest with carrying cross with scarlet bordeaux taking on damian priest in a singles match that went fucking forever oh this fucking match went so goddamn long um, I hated it. I hated this match. I thought that, uh, and I've been more into Damien Priest as of late. Um, but this, I could not have given less of a shit about this match. Karrion Cross seemed like he wasn't even ready to compete yet by the way he was bumping and stuff. Um, I honestly, I mean, they beat the fuck out of each other and it looked like they tried to work their best, but it just came across like Karrion Cross wasn't ready to get back in the ring. Uh, what was your thought on the opening contest for New Year's Evil? Yeah, yeah, I I didn't watch like last week's NXT like the awards show, because uh, like I don't think it was really worth doing that because like just see the award winners online. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I also saw the last week because the Brody Lee Trout show won the reigns, but when I saw people just sharing them, I was like, like this week of that week of all weeks, who cares about which show won in the ratings? Honestly, but yeah. even even without the tribute show, it was award. NXT were doing an award show, so. It was unlikely they were really going to win that, but yeah, so I didn't know that Dex Loomis was a host, and he comes out, and that big red lever that he pulls is so comical, it should have just had a sign that says, please do not touch, and then he just does it anyway. Uh, and I can see what they were going for with this as an opening match, you know, given that Cross it's his first match back since the, the injury at TakeOver 30. But yeah, I agree with you, lengthwise this went far too long. Cause I think they were trying to, like, they wanted to they were trying to accomplish two things at once. Uh, they wanted to get Cross over again as a killer, but they also didn't want Priest to be squashed too quickly and like make him look like resilient. And like so, you gave Priest more of an effort against them than you gave Tommaso Ciampa when they fought on Takeover. 
So like, why can't he have done? Why why is it okay to squash Champa but not Priest? Like, this is something you say for a lighter match. It's like for his first match back, you have him run through her race because I'm assuming you want to put him back in the title picture. If you don't want to run through Priest, here's an idea: don't put him against Damian Priest. You've got quite a large roster in NXT. Put him with someone else. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like I said, the, uh, the I just I found myself on my phone for like a large portion of this show. Spoilers for how I feel about the rest of the show. Uh, but this match in particular, like the second they were coming out, the first thing that popped into my head was, oh, it's the battle of the two guys with the longest entrances in wrestling history. History, Awesome. Um, and then it just sort of went on. Uh, according to Wikipedia, it went about 15 and a half minutes. Uh, like you said, way too fucking long. Just too much. Yeah. Because like, I watched like this and New Year's Smash Night one like back to back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I watched AEW first, and I enjoyed New Year's Eve for the most part. Like, I think there was a lot to enjoy in this show. But the fact that when we were talking about later how good the main event of, of AEW was, and then the next thing I see is this. Yeah, I found it hard to not be scrolling through like social media during this match, and just looking up and like trying to show like, oh, Damian Priest is staying down. And I'm just like, why won't he stay down? <laughs> like, and I like Damian Priest. <laughs> Damian, pal, do me a favor. Just please stop trying for one week. <laughs> Why won't he stay down? <laughs> um, no, I did the same thing. I ended up watching New Year Smash first because um, I've said it before on this podcast and I'll say it a hundred more times until it's wrong. Uh, I like AEW more. Uh, I've actually skipped the last couple of weeks of NXT. Um, not on purpose, just because like, oh, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And then like, I don't get to it. Um so, I mean, that's why I started with uh, NXT on this show, just because I have a like I have more nice things to say about AEW, essentially, just because like I'm I'm liking what they're doing more. I found that with this show that like uh, it'll come up later, especially in the last woman standing match. But like they need to fix their sound because a lot you could hear a lot of like spot calling in on this show. Um, and it just sort of needs to come together with the fake crowd noise and the people like it's half the time that you had all these people like sitting on their hands but then you hear the fake crowd noise of people going Woo, yeah but like you just see people on their fucking phone like literally i i clocked like three people like on their phones uh in the capital wrestling center during this show um and mm-hmm. i don't know what it is but i because i i've always heard the thing where people just don't like mcmahon wrestling sometimes and this it, you know is mcmahon wrestling adjacent uh, but I think that there's something about the Capital Wrestling Center and the way that they're doing um, this stuff that, like lately that it just sort of, I don't know, it feels, I don't want to say the F word, but it feels false. It feels mm-hmm. sort of like like you're watching a stage play instead of something that's like real and vibrant and happening. Um I mean, except for the following match that went about 12 minutes and 30 seconds, Santos Escobar defended the uh, NXT Cruiser, well, one of the NXT Cruiserweight Championships against Grand Metalik uh, with Lince Dorado. Uh, this match was actually a lot of fun, um, but again, you, you just it felt sort of hollow. Uh, the wrestling was good, but um, and I like um, Legado del Fantasma, and without uh Kalisto I like uh Lucha House Party a lot more to be honest. Uh they need to change that theme music cuz every time I hear Lucha Lucha my brain immediately shuts off for uh 
just I don't know why it just does. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, what did you think of the NXT Cruiserweight Championship match? Uh, again, I thought good wrestling, but it just something just felt a little off. Yeah, because like going about the, I didn't hear a lot of the spots on, but I can see why. Like because like we we know like the intricacies, like we like to think we know about how wrestling matches are put together, but we don't, don't often like to be reminded of it. Which is why it can be so annoying when people like you hear people calling spots. The thing with the Cruiserweight title uh, was a pleasant surprise to me because like I heard that Lucha was part of everyone last week and they fought Legado del Fantasma and thought, oh, that'll be a good decent match. I might not be able to check out, but I'm sure it was good. And then I heard, oh, New Year's Eve it will be Grand Metalik versus Santos Escobar for the title. Like, oh, okay, that came out of uh, <laughs> nowhere. And it was a, a decent match because like, they mentioned in this match how Grand Metalik was in the finals of the Cruiserweight Classic and you're like, Oh yeah, and he had great matches in that tournament, and you forget, and like every now and then you get you see swing like main roster crews which are brought to NXT. You realize how good they are. Cause, like you seen Grand Metalik here. Like remember when Akira was like jobber to the stars, like yeah. early in the pandemic era, and yes. then started the ninja thing, and then in the same time he was coming to NXT, being the interim like title tournament and having great matches with everybody. So like it's just weird with some people. And yeah, like one of the cruiserweight champs because I like, actually also watched this in preparation with uh, Ben Carter made his next UK debut and he fought Jordan Devlin over the other uh, title. I think Jeff Big also referred to it on New Year's Eve as you know Jordan Devlin's we know the NXT UK uh, cruiserweight champion. So I think they're trying to keep those two belts separate until like it's um, possible for them to get those both guys in the same building to do some sort of unification style thing, but. I'd seek out the Ben Carter match because that's an excellent match as well. Uh, but as I said here, like, I don't think there's any doubt that Santos was going to win, but uh, you like to be reminded how good Grand Metal League can be because, you know, he did the, like the spot he does where he went slides under the ropes and then he turns that right into a moonsault to the outside because, like, he always seems to do it so, like, fluidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, like, they mentioned, oh, these guys have had a big week really fought the Raw Tag Team Champions recently. I'm like, they're on Raw. <laughs> like I even recently did a quiz where we were asked about the 2020 Royal Rumble and your, one of the questions was like, well, how many people in the front were on Raw? How many of them were on SmackDown? How many were NXT? And how many were free agents? Well, two free agents, obviously MVP and Edge, two NXT people at the time, Riddle and Keith Lee, but it came to the Raw and SmackDown, but I'm like, I honestly don't know. I'm like, this is a couple of drafts ago. So, like, the constant, like, draft, after every draft, I keep forgetting who's on what brand. And by the time I realize who's on what brand, they seem to change it again. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they people do tend to move around a lot. Um, but, I mean, I mean, like, I, I have to agree with you, though, that, like, when the cruiserweights come to NXT and you get a lot of these, I mean, look at Finn Balor. He's not a cruiserweight, per se, but um, he's one of those guys that came back to NXT from the main roster and he's been having, I mean, just spectacular matches since he's been back. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's something that is interesting and definitely should be looked at. I'm not sure if that's the booking or if that's like the amount of freedom that they get when they're under, you know, not Vince's roof, but Triple H's roof, so to speak. Um, But yeah, overall, like I said, wrestling was good, but found myself just sort of out of it. Um, speaking of out of it, uh, recent torture victim Zia Lee returned with Boa uh, against uh, Katarina Cortez in a singles match that went about 90 seconds. Uh, Zia Lee obviously got 
the uh, the win. But what's more interesting is this new uh, entrance where I loved it. I loved this new entrance until she had like a 12 second like karate demo <laughs> in the front of it. Like I've been watching a lot of Cobra Kai lately and it's <laughs> like, like, OK, she has these little daggers in her hands and she's like, ha, yeah, ha, kick. And it's like all you're doing is blowing yourself up before you're in the ring with somebody. Why are you doing that? Boa's looking like he's a fucking agent from the Matrix. Uh, I don't get what's going on here, but I enjoy the fact that they're bringing in some sort of like Asian mafia sort of thing where Zia Lee owes money. I don't know. It was brought up on another podcast that I listened to that um, possibly the FBI should be looking into this because uh, <laughs> they were just showing torture videos for the last few weeks and like on national television. And I don't think that maybe, you know, there, there should be some, like, looking into this going on. But, I mean, Xylee won. I mean, what is there really to say about this? What do you have to say about Xylee uh, and Boa here? Yeah, the match, I don't really have much to say about because obviously it was so short. The entrance, yeah, I think it was good without the, uh, the hair, you know, because I've, I've done karate. And it reminds me very much of, like, when people had to get up and do their, their demonstrations. And I, I've, I've seen a lot of comparisons when the story started of, like, the hand from like the Iron Fist or like the Marvel like comics, and they tried to ra- they tried to trademark that. Did you know that? I I did not know. WWE NXT tried to trademark the hand as the name of the faction with Sylee and Boa. I, I just imagine somebody in the uh, the office who tries that and doesn't know about the the comic history. Like, oh, we can't do the hand. Oh, can we try another appendage? Uh, how about the foot? What do you mean that's taken too? <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous what do you mean it's taken uh, yeah I do get what you mean but I do see there's, like, there's, there's kind of that influence in, involved in yeah this whole weird mafia thing that Bo is going for it really suits my thing with the, the suit and everything but yeah I do love the this weird contrast the WB we're a family product but for three week, three or four weeks in a row you've had these videos of like Bo and Sally being up in like the basement from Hostel uh, repeatedly until they suddenly then they're better at wrestling somehow because that's how it works. And then you have like weird Emperor Palpatine vibes from this, whoever's in that cloak. I've heard like all sorts of rumors. I heard some people say Miko Samura is under there, something like that. Uh, yeah, I've heard a few names being uh, tossed around. And um, I mean, whoever it is, it looks interesting. But I think that definitely before Zaya wins matches, they should cut to the person on the podium so you can just hear, do it. Do it now. <laughs> Whenever she's on offense, it's good, good, good. I mean, we're talking about the names around, like they see the weird that we the cloaks on our face. You know, you know what's going to happen three weeks later. It's me, Austin. Or oh, sorry, it's <laughs> me, Zaya. It was me all along. Zaya. It was me all along. <sighs> um, next up on the show, uh, Raquel Gonzalez with Dakota Kai took on uh, Rhea Ripley in a last woman standing match that went about 17 and a half minutes. This is where I heard a lot of spot calling a lot, especially from Rhea Ripley. You could tell she was carrying Raquel Gonzalez and her, who's very proud of her back, by the way. It's a very interesting like when they cut to her just before the match and they show her like doing like the resistance bands thing. It's always from behind. So you just see like her. Inc- I mean, she's in incredible shape. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but it's just like, cool. Dope shoulders, honey. Dope. Um, you have a back. <laughs> you have an incredibly toned back. Good for you. Um, 
And uh, Dakota Kai got involved in this match and got shoved into a locker. You know, after the PTSD of that wore off, I was still watching this match. Uh, Rhea Ripley did the suck it and did like an elbow drop through through a table. Um, I don't know. Again, I heard a lot of spot calling, so that kind of took me out of it. And then it was easier to find fault in this match. Uh, Both of these women really gave it 110%. They went through the stage and Raquel barely got back up to her feet. A lot of people are thinking that this is Rhea's like swan song and she's going to show up during the Rumble. Uh, That would be cool uh, because I think Rhea's done all she can do. Uh, But overall, uh, this match was, um, I don't know, just kind of there. I did not like this week's NXT, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry if that sucks for people to hear, but uh, this this whole show just sort of had me out of it. And this match was like one of those examples. It was cool to see that these two chicks were just kicking the fuck out of each other and doing what they do. They wrestled very, very well. The match was very hotly contested. But for me, I was just sort of out of it the whole time. Uh, what did you think of the last woman standing match there, Scott? Uh, I, I thought it was really funny, the involvement of Dakota Kai and, you know, Gary getting shoved in locker and then that thing getting pushed in front of it. You know, no shots of a uh, of Raquel going to go and like get out of it after the match was over. So we can only assume that uh, Dakota is still in there. Uh, I think I found it funny because uh, lockers aren't really a thing over here. Like my school had lockers. I didn't get one until the last year of school because for some reason then you were scared insisted that you should have one. I just kept my jacket in there. That's all I used it for. So. It seems very much an American thing in my eyes because, like, anything to do with high school I've seen is always, oh, somebody hanging around their locker, somebody's decorated their locker because they've clearly got too much time on their hands. Uh, but as a match, yeah, it was really good. Uh, it, it didn't really help that they were trying to say, like, oh, these two are fighting over the, the title of the biggest badass in, in NXT when you had a promo from Mercedes Martinez saying, like, I don't care about titles. The only title I care about is the NXT women's title. And you're like, well, you're really taking some steam out of this match, haven't you? Because uh, it seems clear that Mercedes Martinez is going to fight EO next. But, you know, I like the finish with them like, going to the stage and then did that spear that glass door before Dakota got involved. And, you uh, know, see, I, hated, I hated that. I hated uh-huh. that. Because, like, like I, I, I sorry to cut you off, but, like, if it was just, like, a single pane of glass or whatever so they could go through the door... Like, I think it would have, I mean, it's nitpicky, sure, but like, mm-hmm. it just was just like, oh, the door got pushed open, and mostly it was like Rhea hitting the sugar glass that made it break. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, that whole backstage little area, like I said, just, I don't know, just wasn't for me, I guess. I don't know. Go on. Yeah. I think if this is Rhea's last fight, so I mean, clearly they see big things in Raquel, given that they gave her the wins in war games and then. I like that NXT does seem to stick to the whole idea where whenever it's someone's last match in NXT, they lose and, like, you know, go on the back, help build someone else up. It's going to be second around. Uh, you know, a week or so ago, you know, friends were talking about the betting odds for the Rumble, and, like, Rhea is one of the favourites. Like, I don't know if she still is, but, you know, I, I do think she's a hot contender because, like, I definitely think somehow Charlotte, even though people wouldn't like this, Charlotte should probably win the role and take up for Masca because that's probably what the them being tied chance is going to lead to because then you can have Rhea win the Rumble and then you do Rhea's revenge at Mania where she gets revenge for losing the title NXT title last year to Charlotte so unlike Charlotte's last couple of title reigns uh, you know it's actually used to 
build something and it's actually got a payoff with Rear One in it. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that apparently Damien Priest was going to get called up to SmackDown last week as Kevin Owens' best pal. And even Kevin Owens said he didn't think it would be believable. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, if this is Rhea's last uh, last hurrah, then, and if it leads to those things, then I'm all about it. She's got the look. She's got the entrance. She knows how to cut a promo. She's um, got the touch. She's got the power and all that. She's got the, you know, she's got the the <laughs> the feel, the touch of cotton. Um, but no, yeah, I feel like... Uh, I'm still sort of taken back. You guys don't have lockers? So yeah, that's what you stick to. Uh, no, I'm just, I, it just came back into my head. You guys don't have lockers? What do you do with all your books throughout the day? We uh, we have, we keep them in our bags, and uh, we grow up to have very bad back problems. Uh, yeah, like well, some people, like I said, my school had lockers. I don't think it was a mandatory thing to have, but then somehow I ended up getting one in my last year. But yeah. It was the same. It was in the same time. Me getting lockers in the same time. Uh, my school insisted on blazers. Uh, if you see my school, us having blazers would be the definition of polishing a turd. Honestly. <laughs> so, so, my, so basically, how I do is start the morning, go in, take my jacket off, put it in my locker, take my blazer out the locker, put the blazer on. Then end of the day, make the switch again back into the locker. That's all I did with my locker. Eek. I mean, granted, we, I never really used my locker. I just put everything in my backpack so I wouldn't waste the time going back to my locker all the time. But, like, I just, I'm so used to lockers being a thing. Um, so do you think that that possibly, like, the whole getting stuffed into a locker thing, like, that could have fallen, like, on deaf ears in the UK? No, I think we've, we've watched a lot of American TV that I've had people go who move into, high, a, like, secondary schools, we call it, in, in Scotland, uh, uh, going there and thinking that's a real thing everyone has to tell me that's not a thing over here plus our lockers are very much smaller that very small compared to American lockers so if you manage to get stuffed in there then it's a weird accomplishment uh, to have that happen to you but yeah I, in hindsight maybe I should have had a locker more because like I only ever brought in my bag what I needed for that day but like in days where I had PE I had to stuff my uh, gear, PE gear in there as well and now, those days were very heavy so looking back, maybe I should have had a locker for that So wait, did you guys have like a like a separate schedule system where it was like one day you have you know language and math and science and then one day you have PE and you have you know other classes No, we, no, we have like different periods throughout the day mm-hmm. and having like timetables to let you know so also you look at the timetable you think well, I'll need stuff for this class and that class, so I'll put that in my bag. And, yeah, and then as you get later on into the secondary school, you get, start to get to certain subjects that you want to do, like, more of, uh, basically based on, like, what you're going to do when you leave. Uh, and, like, some people can, like, choose PE, but you'll get it anyway. So if you choose it, then you get to do, like, written stuff as well. Whereas I'm like, I fucking hate PE. I'm not going to choose it. I'll just do the physical stuff and what, not avoid whatever else you do. In that class. Okay then. All right. Interesting. I wasn't prepared to explain the differences in the UK and US education system on this uh, grapple update. So uh, I'm trying to explain it as best I can. Right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, so Raquel gets the win. Uh, good for her. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah, we were on. talking about yeah, five minutes ago, we were talking about Rio winning the Rumble, and then we started talking about Walkers. 
I just it it just it was weird to me because like even when I was in elementary school, uh, there were like for like the kids who were in like fourth and fifth and sixth grade, they had like lockers that they would use towards the end of the year because like as of middle school and high school, you had lockers all the time and you were like meant to go back to the lockers and you know remember your fucking combination and whatnot. I never did any of that because I don't know school was just never for me in the first place. Uh, but it's just, I don't know, to me, it's just, it's a strange, you know, um, difference that I didn't know existed. You know, you learn something new every day. Uh, can we, we didn't have combination locks. We had to play a regular padlock with a key and basically make sure you don't lose that key. Otherwise you can't open that locker. <laughs> no, they, they don't trust us enough with keys. It was just like fucking master locks with like the little like scroll on it. The little, I think the combination shows more trust because like they're trusting you to remember that. That kind of shit. Well, whereas, no, because, us like, whereas us be like, your guys aren't smart enough to remember the four basic numbers. Have this little key and don't lose it. Well, what it was is that they had like a specific person in the office that if you were if you forgot your combination, you could go down to the office and be like, well, what's my combination? And then they would look up your file on the computer and it would be like, oh, your locker is this number and has this combination. And you'd go, oh, OK, thanks. And then you go down the next day and be like, I forgot my locker combination again. And they'll be like, oh, come on, motherfucker. Um, and that was like life in, you know, I guess New Jersey school system. Um, next, we up, need get Nathan, next time we have Nathan back on this show, we need to see what his experiences are like. Cause I feel like, like I'm not really summing up UK. You said, I'm just talking about how it is in Scotland. I need to know what it's like in wherever, but wherever it is, Essex or wherever it is he's from. Yeah, I believe it was Essex. Cause uh, I mean, see now we forget because we're so used to him bringing it up every single time that he's on <laughs> one of these episodes. <laughs> You ever listen to Nathan's accent? He definitely sounds like someone who went to a school that had a blazer. <laughs> that they showed up in. They they showed up in like the full like tie and fucking the the blazer and like the nice shoes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I could see that happening. They definitely had lockers for sure. So what else right. happened on NXT? <laughs> uh, well, apparently, uh, you know, Timothy Thatcher was you know air quotes injured. Um, and we saw him uh, briefly, uh, as William Regal described, that the uh, the fight pit would not be taking place. Uh, Timothy Thatcher walked off very angry, shoulder-checked uh, Mr. Regal on the way out. Uh, that match still will be taking place at some point. No idea why they decided to move it, um, but they did. So then we get back to uh, In the Arena and The Way come out. Uh, Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae, Austin Theory, and Indy Hartwell and they unveil a Fantastic Four uh, animated sort of photo of them all together. Johnny Gargano was way more interested in Austin Theory's muscles than his wife um, during this promo, which I thought was funny. Um, and then uh, Shotzi Blackheart's music starts, and uh, Austin Theory goes to walk up the ramp to tell her to leave, and she fires a missile into his dick, which was endlessly entertaining for me. Um, and it leads to Kushida and Shotzi Blackheart teaming up to take on Jenna Gargano and Candice LeRae, whose arm is mysteriously not broken anymore in a match that went about nine minutes. Uh, I will be completely honest with you. I did not watch a fucking second of this match. I went to go get something to eat. And by the time I came back with my sandwich, um, they were showing the Finn Balor like promo at the end of the match with Kushida and Shotzi Blackheart. So what did you think of it? Yeah, like, well, I think I was watching, like, like, I've been watching AEW, and for a reason, when it does the picture-in-picture, picture, it doesn't show the, the advert, 
it just shows that it keeps on the wrestling, whereas the NXT ones do show like, the ads. So much of this match was in picture-in-picture, picture, which I often find very distracting. Mm-hmm. And then I wasn't really that invested in the match where it came back. So, yeah, I struggled to really to really care about it. I'm assuming, like, given that they are in clear the uh, women's uh, Dusty Classic, that I'm assuming that Candice and Indy will team against Shotzi and um, yeah, or Emberman, somebody else. And uh, I'm assuming because Lee and Ruff is team with Kushida, he'll probably face Johnny Gargano and uh, Austin Theory at some point. So I think there's just a setup for that. And to remind you that Dusty Classic is coming up. I, I'm more interested in talking about the way because I, I find them very entertaining. I know some people say, no, they're too goofy. Like I think that's what they're meant to be. Like the Christmas skits they did with uh, Austin Theory saying, no way, Jose. And then Joey like, we don't say that name in this house. Put that cookie down. <laughs> and then uh, they give like, and they think she's getting given a PS5. Like, no, no, that's my PS5, but it's more about what it represents. We're giving you a family name. You are indie wrestling, and we support you. We support indie wrestling. <laughs> and then, like, the, the image, the Fantastic Four image, and like, Johnny saying, hey, Austin, like, look at your muscles, are those to scale? And like, you, you said you find that they get him getting shot in the balls entertaining. Like, Beth Phoenix couldn't like talk straight she just couldn't stop laughing because of the way Austin Theory was selling getting shot in the balls it was literally from like the Simpsons like man gets hit in in the in the groin by football like it was exactly like that for me and it just I chuckled very very deeply uh when he I may or may not have rewound it a couple of times just to watch (laughs) that uh again um but no, I think the the difference is is in the UK you guys have the fight version of AEW, um, and they um, they they only cut to commercial because of TNT. If they weren't on TNT and they were just doing the live streams uh, on fight, um, then you would see the because uh, like sometimes when I watch AEW, uh, obviously on TNT on Wednesdays, not anywhere else any other way um they do show the adverts and it's mostly um tnt centric uh adverts like for uh snowpiercer and uh i don't know whatever other uh ads that they have going on at the time but yeah um the the only version see this is what i don't like either about um nxt is that when nxt now goes to the network they just cut the commercials like they just they'll go, oh, we'll be right back. And you don't see everything that you would normally see in picture in picture on the network. You, they just cut it and then come back, which like you have the cameras running. People get to see the stuff in between. So why not just do like when you get to the network, especially because you're paying, you know, 10, 15 dollars for the network. You should be able to see that stuff. Yeah. And. More than not, when we actually do get you tuned into the wrestling, whereas AEW or NXT, we actually do see the wrestling in picture and picture for the most part. The pace really slows down because they realize that I think they probably can tell at this point this is where we go to commercial, so we'll wait and then pick things back up again when we go live right, when we return from commercial. Because I've been to like, live like, taping like Ron Smackdown, and there were points where I was watching it where I was thinking the heels like working over the face for a long period of time, and I'm thinking to myself, huh, this must be where they're planning on going to commercial. These were pre-tapes. Yeah. I, I don't know. I wish they would just show the whole match. Um, but I think, uh, what was it, Sayer? Kushida and uh, Shotzi got the win. 
Uh, and we move on to the main event of the evening for uh, New Year's Evil NXT. Uh, Finn Balor defending the NXT Championship against one Kyle O'Reilly in a rematch from their spectacular NXT match of the year uh, at, I think it was 31, TakeOver 31. Mm-hmm. And uh, this sort of lives in the shadow of that match uh, for me. Um, it sort of featured the greatest hits uh, of the first one, and these two are very good at professionally wrestling one another. Don't get me wrong, um, but there were a couple of things in this where it just felt like they were trying to sort of um, uh, like shoehorn in, like, oh, this is real, and they have injury history with one another because uh, they tried doing the the kick to the 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 liver spot again and kyle seemed like he sort of had to remember that that spot was happening so he sort of like went down finn balor ends up retaining after getting his head busted open these two guys kick the shit out of each other every time they're in the ring with one another and i thoroughly enjoy it i just didn't love this one as much as i did their takeover match it wasn't nearly as long uh you saw that the undisputed era came out uh to check on kyle o'reilly and um you know uh, finn balor ended up posting a, pi- a picture of him all bleeding and like holding the title and said come get it um and uh people like uh pete dunn have responded to him about it on twitter and jay white uh tweeted about it so rumors are speculating about what's going on with finn balor in the nxt championship uh overall this match was good i thought it was probably match of the night uh maybe second to the NXT Cruiserweight Championship match for me. Uh, but what did you think of the main event? Yeah, like, some bit adverse. I'm glad that they mentioned, like, said that this will be a commercial-free match. And, like, it did, like, set the expectation when they kept reminding you of the fact that, obviously, they won the NXT Awards the week before. This was voted by the fans as match of the year for 2020. So then you give it, like, really high expectations. But I did like that they kind of reversed it where they had, like, Kyle had to bite the rope to get out of his mission, so then Finn releases it and then immediately kicks the rope. And so now it's like, it's Kyle that's got the mountain like, jaw like injury, and so Finn's going after it. Like, even when he does his running jaw kick, when he usually do it to the chest, he did it to the face. So, like, again, he was going back after, like, the mouth. And I'll, I'll agree with you, like, the lever shot, like, I didn't even see that he hit him, or about to hit him, so I just, like, let it feel that, feel like weird. I didn't know really what they were going for. Uh, it was very technical, you know, you got Gale constantly going after the arm and uh, it gave Finn a chance to experiment with some of like different holds and like he won by a submission and then moved after it like, looked a lot like uh, the brutalizer that Fak uses. And as we think like maybe this version of of Finn Balor probably shouldn't be using the coup de gras that often like you can use like the nineteen sixteen but I think you should now only occasionally pull out the coup de gras and maybe start thinking about like thinking of a new like submission move. Like, even like the Dragon Sleeper, because like, it would be an easy transition Like if you did the reverse, like 1916, and then just keep hook, keep it hooked on and try like, the Dragon Sleeper or something like that. Because uh, he's shown recently, especially in these matches with Kyle O'Reilly, that he can really go as a, he can go as like a technical wrestler. And I think if he had a submission to his arsenal, it would make him like, even more well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who, who do you think is uh, maybe next for Finn Balor? I'd probably say Pete Dunne, because like, they had him in the in the crowd with uh, Owen Walking and Danny Burch at one point, uh, so I think like he'll probably be the next guy. Uh, they announced that uh, on Valentine's Day, that will be the next takeover, which has me, like kind of fingers crossed, in Valentine's Day Massacre, maybe. Uh, you know? I would love that if they just changed the name, because like, they didn't give it a name. 
They just called it takeover again. Yeah, and like sometimes because they got into the habit of doing that sometimes where they don't announce the name until kind of last minute. Uh, sometimes, but I hope they don't just add a number to it because then it get because then this is an odd numbered one. Odd numbered takeovers don't really work unless it's like twenty five. So like, don't call the NXT takeover thirty three. <laughs> that doesn't work. I mean, thirty one is only remembered by the fact that it had that great main event, not because of how imaginative the name was. I think thirty one overall was just a great show. Yeah, I know, but I'm talking about the name wise. Like, if it didn't have like such a great show, you wouldn't remember it because it had such an unimaginative name. Because if you're gonna give something a number, it should be like a whole number, like Takeover thirty, mm-hmm. or like a Takeover twenty five. But then you have these odd number ones. Right. Um, also um, announced on the show is that we will be having not one but two. Dusty Classics um, this year, one for the men and one for the women. Um, I believe that the winner of the women's gets a shot at the women's tag championships, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you, you assume so, because like, they only seem to occasionally bring them down to, to NXT, NXT. You know, you had, Sasha and Bailey had one or two appearances like last year, and then like, the KPQ Warriors came down once, but they don't really make a habit of it. But you got to wonder when they're going to do this because it keeps saying later in the year because this is when the time they started doing the men's one so I think there's a chance we probably won't even see the women's one until after maybe after Wrestlemania because like it definitely won't be while Charlotte and Asuka are still tag champs and, and I, I'm trying to still think who they're going to get to be in this because other than Indy and uh, Indy and Candice and Dakota and Raquel there are very few actual women's tag teams in NXT yeah, yeah. I mean, they they do have uh, certain people sort of like around each other. I would like it if maybe Raquel and Dakota won because they have like the most like they they've spent the most time together and they sort of feel like a cohesive unit. Um, Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell are sort of newer, and I think that they'll get about halfway through. Um, but uh, who do you see winning the men's uh, Dusty Classic this year? Uh, I'd like it, I'd like it to be the grizzled young vet. Because, you know, they were in the finals last year, so they'll have the motivation coming this year. I think they'd like to see it come down to them versus Undisputed Era. Because, uh, like, they'd be, like, the fan... Fa- Undisputed Era are now the fan favourites, and they haven't seen them lose to, obviously, the, the heels and, and Grizzly Young Vets. And even though it'd be heel v heel, I'd, still, I'd like to see Yoni Lockett and Danny Burch versus uh, Grizzled Young Vets. Because, uh, like... Because uh, Roderick and... Uh, Adam Cole winner would basically be like, let's we'll see how many different combinations Undisputed Era we can have as tag team champions. <laughs> and like, I don't really think Adam Cole should be the one, I think he should always be the member of Undisputed Era that's in singles, uh, even though he could be a good tag team with Roderick. But I'd like to see uh, uh, Grizzled Young Vets win this one. Because uh, like, next week it's going to be, well, on the next XT, it's going to be Ever Rise versus Grizzled Young Vets and Breezango versus Undisputed Era. I do think, however long you're going to give it until the women's one, I think now is the time to start building some women's tag teams so you've got people to actually be in a tournament because, you know, this Sunday uh, Hard to Kill an Impact, they're having the, the finals of the Knockouts tag tournament where like they're bringing the Knockouts tag titles back. But they started like putting some of the women that are in this tournament together like last summer. So they had a long like, build to this, whereas the NXT like, this Women's Dusty Classic, I think for the most part is going to be just people who are thrown together who are probably going to be like fed to people like, as we said, Raquel and Dakota. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, we can only see as uh, next week NXT returns to uh, normal functions uh, for NXT TV uh, on Wednesday. And that was NXT. So we move swiftly over to AEW New Year's Smash Night 1. Uh, the opening match was the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, and SoCal Uncensored, uh, Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian, taking on the acclaimed Anthony Bowens and Max Caster and the Hybrid 2 and Helico and Jack Evans in a match that went 10 minutes. And this match kind of sucked. Um, it was sloppy. Uh, I mean, listen, this is my opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, you can tell me how wrong I am all you want uh, on the Internet. I will decide how much I want to listen to it when I see it. <laughs> um but this eight man tag like genuinely felt rushed. It felt sloppy. It felt sort of like who cares. Um, and the, the bucks and so, and SCU got the win. Um, and at the end of the match, SCU and the bucks stood off with one another and they said, you know, we got your back until those tag belts are on the line and we're standing in the ring face to face. They seemed to, you know, decide that that was, um, you know, a good idea. So hopefully that match is happening soon, maybe the week after next or something. Um, what did you think of this opening match? I definitely think it was a case of like, well, this is like a big week of, of Dynamite, so we're going to open with a spot fest, and that's kind of what it was because you had the Bucks, SE, you had the Hybrid 2 doing some good stuff. You know, they claimed they've done quite well for themselves in a the short time. They've been in AEW, you know, they're doing the, the diss tracks and that. and I, can't, I can never remember which one because I'm still trying to remember who's who in the Acclaims, but apparently one of them was like one of the Bobby Lashley sisters from like a couple of years ago. Because uh, like they were doing all those memes last year of like how it started, how it ended. Uh, Max, it Max Caster, by the way. Sorry. Yeah, so like he put up a picture of uh, like him as one of the sisters and then put a picture of him on uh, Dynamite for the how it started, how it's going kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it does feel like kind of a spot fest. Uh, but at the end, it seemed like they said that on commentary that the rankings had reset because it's a new year. So mm. now, like people like SC are going to try and like start getting some wins so that they can claim their rankings. And like they did this thing on Dark. I don't know if you saw it. Cause, like, I get that they're going to try and make Dark seem like big by like making big storyline points happen on it. But this is on that definitely should have happened on Dynamite, where you had like that the waiting room with Burt Baker and SCU were on it and. Uh, Kaz and, and Daniels were getting each other's faces and then making a, a vow that next time we lose in a, a straight up tags match we're done as a tag team and like really that's a point that should have been made on, on an episode of Dynamite if it's going to be that important because I think the story is going to be then them Craig claim up to number one in the rankings they lose to whoever they just fall short to whoever is the champions if it's the Bucks or whoever else and maybe Kazarian turns on Daniels or something like that that's like that's kind of where it's going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Frankie Kazarian had that uh, incredible like one on one match with um, uh, Hangman Adam Page a couple maybe like month or two ago. Um, and I'd love to see what they do if SoCal Uncensored is broken up uh, because uh, we haven't seen um, Scorpio Sky in a little bit. So it's interesting yeah. to see where what his part in all of this is. Um, the acclaimed uh, had their fantastic. Uh, rap at the beginning uh, talking about how, you know, they're the John Cena guys, but, you know, the the Young Bucks are just Marty Jannetty and stuff like that. I mean, just good stuff all around. I'm a big fan of Anthony Bowens. I, uh, he's from 
the area. Like I've seen him wrestle for, uh, I believe they're called Catalyst Wrestling now, but he used to wrestle for them when they were called Capital Wrestling. They had uh, they had him versus Mr. Darius Carter a lot, and those two just murdered each other all the time, and it was fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, this match was whatever because the thing I need, I desperately need to talk about is Wardlow versus Jake Hager. Holy shit. This match was everything you needed it to be and more. Just two big bastards beating the fuck out of each other. And then Wardlow got the queen, the cl- clean win in about ten and a half, uh, ten and a quarter minutes. And wow, this match was awesome. This match was so, so good. I'm not a huge, huge gu- fan of like Haas matches, but when they're done well and they're done right, they are some of the best wrestling in wrestling. And uh, what did you think of uh, this, uh, this big men slap and meat contest? Uh. I was going to make that joke. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> like what Biggie said, the big man, slap the meat. All the meat gets slapped. <laughs> all the meat. Yeah. What I found is that, like, other than, like, one, like, slip up, like, where Wardlow didn't get, like, the height he needed to when he was, like, leaping over Hager, Wardlow looked fantastic, mm-hmm. whereas Hager looked shit. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just as well that Wardlow won because he, he deserved to. He, like, he was throwing Hager around. You know, I, I like the occasional, like, kind of host fight, you know, thing. You know, we had one with Jeff Coffey Shingo at uh, Wrestle Kingdom Night 2. Well, like, he's there for a few people who haven't checked that out, but uh, I like that kind of match. But, like, looking at Hager, like, how long have you, have you been around compared to this guy? And look at these mistakes, you know what I mean? Like, how slow you seem to be moving around the ring, or how sloppy some of these moves seem to be. Like, you were a world champion. And this guy's probably been around a couple of years. And, like, even then, like, there's all these guys and you get their aggression out. The main issue here is that Wardlow didn't come to a taping because of concerns for his family over a COVID thing, and Jake Heger has an issue about it. Like, that makes Heger the arsehole here. There's no other way to paint this. Like, and, like, yeah, Jericho and Comte, who, fuck me. <laughs> like, he was, like, he was kind of tolerable on the, the tribute show, even... Like, like uh, uh, Eric Rowan bit aside on this show like oh shut the fuck up mate <laughs> honestly like there, there's, a, there's a long history of wrestlers who are good talkers but somehow that doesn't translate to commentary and Jericho is now one of them but fair do say Wardlow for anyway to get him on the uh, get Hager up for the F10 looked as good as it could be for someone of Hager's size and then the bit afterwards with the fist bump and then like seems like things are cool and now whatever NGF's to do like he's trying to get and we're starting to earn people's trust even though they didn't trust him at first and I'm looking forward to see how that plays out yeah I mean uh, this match was as good as could be expected uh, Jericho was you know a little on and off on this show in this match he was definitely sort of more off um, slightly after this match you saw I believe it was when they came back from commercial uh, MJF came in to just sort of like give a pep talk to Hager and that was sort of an interesting sort of dynamic uh, where MJF was sort of trying to, you know, stay on the even keel with everybody in the inner circle. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. But right now it seems that these two guys are uh, on the same page. I'd like to see them in a tag team, maybe for a little while. Wardlow and Jake Hager, I think, could fucking just wreck house in the tag team division. Um, especially now since the records have all um, changed back to 0-0. Zero, zero. Uh, to be fair to... Um, to Jericho, uh, he did have a great line uh, on commentary about uh, for the first time in my career, uh, me and Excalibur have the same record zero and zero, <laughs> which which I thought was rather funny. 
Um, he, did have, he did have one or two good lines like towards the end of the night, like during the main event. He said like maybe Kenny Omega will have will feel a need to like pull a win after his best friend Kota Ibushi like achieved greatness at the the Tokyo Dome, and Jericho went no, that was his former best friend. His new best friend is Don Callis. That's a fair. That's oh, a fair statement. Or like when he said when they when Justin Rhodes answered him as from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, and then Jericho went yes, yeah, oh, yeah, Canada. That was pretty great. I still get a chuckle during the entrance of Kenny Omega where it, they always just work in North Carolina for some reason. <laughs> I don't understand why he's doing it. I don't want anybody to explain it to me. I'm just enjoying every time it's different. Uh, he recently appeared on Impact Wrestling and they took the scenic route through North Carolina. Like, come <laughs> on. Come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, next up. Cody Rhodes with noted Miz fan Snoop Dogg. Uh, that joke will become way more clear at, in the uh, after match uh, uh, thing. Uh, defeated Matt Seidel in about 10 minutes. Um, this match was awesome. I mean, I thought this match worked really well. Matt Seidel and Cody Rhodes worked really well together. Uh, Snoop Dogg doing his, uh, his coaching thing on the outside was entertaining to watch. Um, Jericho said that he came out with... Um, Arn Anderson's um, the fuck uh, Waffle House menu uh, mm-hmm. on commentary, which I thought was funny. Uh, then uh, we'll talk about the thing after the match uh, in a minute. But uh, what did you think of uh, Cody and uh, Matt Seidel? It was a good match for the most part. You know, they had a that road too, talking about how they'd face entire matches in WWE, but they never actually faced each other in a one-on-one match until now. Even though they were kind of around in WWE at the same time, so that was interesting. I do remember like there was a tag match I saw a clip from ages ago from like two the nails Legacy versus Evan Bourne and I can't remember who, but like Cody hits a crossroads and that looks like he like kills Evan Bourne or now Matt Seidel. Uh but I remember Snoop Dogg he did a, a segment earlier in the night as well with a private party also like, playing on the gin and juice thing. Like Mark Lynn only had the gin, he like he forgot the juice and then Snoop Dogg brought the juice and then he just stand there awkwardly while Matt Hardy talks to Private Party in a segment that went far too long. While Private Party got a shit deal from Matt Hardy, 30%? I do love that he had to sneak in the... Oh, you, know, you can still do your Twitch and your cameras. I'm not a monster. Yeah, of course, but, I didn't like, throw that in, yeah. But like, I like the transition of he's going in that whole big money Matt thing, because you know, I like the work he did there. I just don't like how, out of nowhere, the transition from Matt to being a good guy to suddenly being a heel and now managing Private Party has been, but that's a, a separate issue. As far as this match goes, last week when they were announcing, oh, for night one of New Year's Smash, here's the lineup for the card. I said, no. And then they announced, oh, on the next night, the Go Big Show is premiering. But first we've got Cody versus Matt Seidel. Like, oh, I wonder who's going to win this one. Yeah. Is it going to be Matt Seidel or the guy whose show is on all of the banners around ringside and how it seemed to be like, take a drink every time they mention the show. And the fact that Cody Rhodes is even in the centre of the 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 banners, it's always Snoop Dogg in the centre. He's the one that clearly TNT still cares about more than Cody, even though they're doing everything to promote the show. And yeah, so every time they go on the outside, there's all these banners for the big, the Go Big show or whatever you call it. And like they really fixed on one of the banners after during the women's tail match when they went under the ring, which I'm still maintaining that the only reason they did that spot under the ring was so they could focus on that banner for a while. But yeah, like so, just like seeing this seems seem so obvious, like an advert for that show that kind of took away from like what was otherwise a good match. I'm just watching it like, this is just an advert, isn't it? Like the sort of reason you've got Snip Dog here. Also, 
talk about long entrance. Kenny Omega's entrance, I get it. I love his long entrance. Cody Rhodes' entrance. Honestly, the tribute episode, I his entrance started. I got up, took my plate into the living room. I put something in the, the bins outside, came back. Cody was just getting up on the top turnbuckle. That's how long his entrance goes. I've stopped pausing it and saving, like, having to go do stuff while his entrance is on because I know it takes that long. It does take a very long time, yeah. They should at least cut that, like, ambient fucking... And, like, get all this flame and fire on the, like... It's an episode of Dynamite, mate. It's not pay-per-view. Like, like, like steady on, pal. And so, yeah, it was a good match. You know, Matt Fidel looked good. But given the fact that Snoop Dogg was there and they mentioned, oh, but tomorrow night he and Cody are part of this show, it just seems like so much a blatant advert it took me out of it for the most part. And then they had to get involved with fucking Serpentico. Like, everything <laughs> is ruined with Serpentico involved. Like, I knew watching it, I knew watching it that the second they accidentally... Uh, like they, they accidentally bumped into the was their their tag team Chaos Theory or Chaos Project or whatever. Um, uh, I the my first fucking thought was I cannot wait to hear what Scott has to say about this. So please regale me on, on your feelings that Serpentico and Luther had to get involved here. Just like it seems just so contrived. Just like he just punches them right in the face, and then he gets involved right after the match. And like, it was just set up so they could do that post-match bit with that very memed spot with uh, Snoop Dogg. And like, as I said, like, why did he have to get involved? Nothing is improved by including Serpentico in it. And, and I mean that. I very mean that nothing is improved with him in it. Like, Luther like, couldn't be improved with anything, let alone Serpentico. Like, I, just don't, like, I just didn't want to see him. Like, I, I'm happy with him in his current role of sitting behind the banister at the moment and be on episodes of Dark that I can't be arse watching. Yeah, and then, like I said, uh, noted Miz fan, the, the, the Snoop Dogg, as I'm now referring to him, uh, got up on the turnbuckle as Matt Seidel and Cody Rhodes held down Serpentico after Luther, in the five seconds he was in the ring, tripped over his partner um, and performed oh, that's the so second worst splash in human history the reason i call him a noted miz fan is because this looked exactly like the splash in quotations that miz performed on shane mcmahon way 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 back at stomping grounds i think it was it was the first thing that popped into my head um and it was awful and then he pins serpentico so even snoop dogg is uh, has a better record in aew than serpentico does um uh sasha banks had a tweet for Snoop Dogg, where she was like, fam, we got to talk about this. Um, <laughs> just after this, uh, th- that this clip had gone up. Um, do you see a future for uh, Mr. Snoop Dogg in the pro wrestling ring? I thought you were going to say, do you see a, a, a future for Serpentico? I was going to say, God, no, but... Oh, no, see, I'm not stupid enough to ask that question, because I know that there isn't. <sighs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I doubt it. I, don't, I think he's, he's obviously a fan, but I think he's only there because he'll say he's got the thing to promote. Also, I know there's all these stories about WWE being annoyed because he's in their Hall of Fame and he's shown up on this show, like, allegedly, although there's been other rumors that say that's not a case. Yeah. But, like, even then, like, he can go wherever he wants. He's fucking Snip Dog. So I don't think he cares what WWE thinks about him appearing on AEW. So I think it's just a case if he wants to. I doubt it. I mean, he was definitely decent. Uh, and I imagine he just looked, like, very excited at every little thing that happened in the ring. So, you know, he was enthused. So if you got to see him in Cody's corner once or twice, I wouldn't be against it. 
No, yeah. he wasn't yelling like Mike Tyson. Yeah, Jesus, I know, right? Um, and Snoop, like Snoop, obviously wants to be like involved. Like you see that, like he was uh-huh. in that backstage segment there to say two words and stand still, um, respectfully stand still while Matt Hardy talked. He just seems like he just thoroughly enjoys this stuff, which is always cool to see people who are outside of the wrestling bubble who like love it so much. Um, I mean, yeah, this, same with, this was cool. If he's gonna manage, if he's gonna manage anybody, NAW, it should have been Cody's opponent that he managed. I mean. I'm sure they've got similar interests. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, uh, they, if you listen to uh, Two Bears, One Cave, especially from a couple a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago from when Burt Kreischer, who, why does Excalibur not just look up how to say people's names? I, like, I, thought, I thought him of all, everybody on the, the commentator, he would be the one who knows how to pronounce names better, given that GR doesn't really want to fucking be there. Fucking, he's the one calling out like uh, when Angelico uh, does like different versions of like these really complicated lucha submissions. He knows them like specifically, like what the names of those moves are. But he doesn't. He couldn't do a quick Google and be like, "How do you pronounce Burt Kreischer? What do you call him, Burt Chrysler or something?" Like it's not even fucking spelt that way. Jersey Muscle Society, the the pro wrestling magic tag team champions, were on. Uh, dark a couple of weeks ago. He called Steve Gipke, Steve Gabicki. Like, it's not how you pronounce the name, dude. Like, just look it up. We put matches out with Gipke on them. Just watch our YouTube channel. YouTube.com forward slash pro wrestling magic. It's not hard. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think ever since Excalibur, like, mysteriously disappeared for those couple of weeks uh, when he had that little, uh, that little like, N-bomb hiccup uh, a few months back, uh, he hasn't been the same. I don't know if that's just me or whatnot, but yeah, it's just it's been a little off with uh, Excalibur lately. I think it's hard to find a balance when you do when all you do is take the piss for two hours on dark, and then you have to go on dynamite, and then you do dynamite, and then you have to sort of be like more serious and stuff. And you're there with Ross and um, Shivani, and they're both doing fairly well. I mean, Jr. has been better lately. Um, I mean- yeah, I mean, even Shivani, like, even though a lot of people criticize JR, Shivani, even though, even at times where he's not familiar with certain people, he still does his best to sound enthused, and he, like, if he finds something funny or entertaining, he'll, like, express it. Whereas, like, a big criticism of JR is he just seems confused a lot. Whereas Shivani's been out of the business for quite a while and still seems more interested in what's going on. Like, even not, and not, that doesn't just mean, it's not just exclusive to yelling, it's doing! At every opportunity. Yeah, like that that thing he did uh, a couple weeks ago with Don Callis, where Callis was like, "Get up, give me your seat," and he's just like, "Kiss my ass!" Like I fucking love them. Um, he mentioned uh, on AEW Unrestricted that uh, if he had taken the job with WWE, his wife said she would divorce him. So that's like it's part of what played into like him going into AEW, which is great. Like he's so good on that table. Uh, I wouldn't really have anyone else there. <clears throat> Next up was the uh, singles match for the AEW Women's World Championship. Went about eight and a half minutes between Hikaru Shida and Abaddon. Uh, this match was all right. Uh, it was sort of like right down the middle of like okay in ring stuff and character stuff. Abaddon was there just trying to eat Hikaru Shida, and Hikaru Shida was just sort of like overcoming uh, the fear that she had for Abaddon. And in the end, uh, Shida retained her title. Um, yeah, I mean, 
not a lot really to say about this from my perspective. So uh, what do you think of the women's world championship match? Meh. You okay, know. so in the main event. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very bad. Like, they really went and all in on that biting thing. You know, JR asking if Abaddon had had her shots or stuff like that, you know. And it feels weird that they seem like build her up as like the female version of the Fiend. I like because she kind of got, got right back up from like a Kendall six shot and then got beaten and like is it under like ten minutes on TV? And like it just seems like so obvious that like Anna J or Brett Baker should be the one taking the belt. So obviously it's really hard to buy into a match like this. You know when I hear the name Abaddon, I often think of like the character from Supernatural, who's like oh, a knight of hell or whatever. And that awful Marlon Brando impression in season four. I remember, remember that. that one. Yeah, um, that might have been Alistair. But yeah, there, I mean, there's so many demons on that show. Um, yeah. Uh, and I look, at, I look at her gimmick and everything, and like, for a dude, she's committed to it. And he said, the amount of times Jericho and JR said the word gimmick during this match when describing Abaddon. Nice. But like, I looked at her and I was like, you look like if I ordered Sue Young off of Wish.com, this is what <laughs> would turn up at my door. Mom said we have Abaddon at home, uh, Sue Young at home. <laughs> And you get home and it's Abaddon. You know, Sue Young or, like, she's been doing Susie and, like, all the other alter egos. Now she's in a pantsuit calling herself Susan. Who basically, his look can be described as, basically, woman and human resources. But, yeah, oh. like, I I don't really have anything to really say about this. But, yeah, Abaddon lost, like, under 10 minutes. And I wasn't very interested. I'm yeah. sorry. And, like... It felt like they did the whole under the ring spot, and probably just me throwing out there was probably not the reason. But they did the whole carrier under the ring spot, so they could just keep a, a close shot on the bow on the ring skirts that had the Go Big Show logo on them. Just remember tomorrow night on this same network, watch it, watch the show. It's got Cody on it. Do you like Cody? No, I don't. Well, you should. And it's fucking the sister network. It's not even TNT. It's on TBS. Mm-hmm. Got her from The Mandalorian in it as well. Sasha Banks, no her. <laughs> that, that, her that, that the other harsh. one. That, that seems harsh. I love Rosario Dawson. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, she was great on Mandalorian this year, wasn't she? Yeah, can't wait for Ahsoka when the world stops being insane. I, I'm trying to think of a good word to say. No, but you know what? I, I get it. I, I 100% get it. Uh, <laughs> our, our, our capital building was under siege by the losing team. And mm-hmm. this year, so it's 2021. I'd like my, uh, I'd like to see your manager, please, please, and thank you. Uh, do you see the someone did a video of like an interview somebody gave after the on the protesters gave, and they mixed it in with the and the Animaniacs intro. Oh yeah, they they dropped me down and tased me. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, we're Animaniacs, totally insane. They dropped me down and tased me, Animaniacs. <laughs> it's so good, so so good. Um, I, I also it's just another reason why Animaniacs coming back last year was phenomenal. Um, anyway, in the main event uh, for night one of AW Nears Mash, it was Kenny Omega uh, with Don Callis coming the long way from North Carolina uh, and taking on Ray Phoenix in a match for the AW World Championship that went 15 minutes. And holy shit! Uh, we were talking earlier about like people doing too much or matches lasting too long. This match felt like it went forever, but like in a good way. And these guys just totally went out there and overperformed 
to like the nth degree, but in like such a fun way. Like I I've been on this podcast before and criticized Kenny Omega for having these matches on TV that are like too, too much or whatever. But this one felt about right. Like it had the story there where Ray Phoenix never got to um, have his match during the tournament because of injury. And it was for the title. And these guys have wrestled each other a few times in the past. Kenny Omega was the one who took the AAA world title away from Ray Phoenix. So these guys have a history. They went out there and fucking just destroyed one another. Um, I just can't say enough good things about it. There was Tiger Drivers and fucking V-Triggers and just everything all over the place. And my good God, this match was fantastic. Uh, what did you think of the main event, my friend? Yeah, I, I've criticized Kenny Omega over like little things as well during these matches. And like, if I had to nitpick one small thing, is that I think once or twice, like, especially like that weird version of like the Island Driver that, uh, or Emerald Flosion or whatever it was that Phoenix did, I really wish Kenny would have like got to the ropes or Doncaster would have put his foot on the rope. Because like, even though Phoenix looked amazing, there were times where I thought Kenny was kicking out of too much. Uh, and so he was like taking all these good best moves then kicking out of it and I know he's maybe the champion he's got a move that's unbeatable but I still think you could have pretended one or two of Phoenix's moves but other than that yeah this match was insane you know JR is not shy sometimes a bit expressing on TV that he sometimes thinks some people are doing too much but there are certain people like K. Omega who even made JR seem enthused and JR even with all the high spots JR was like on board with everything like or, like this kind of springboard into the cutter from the outside and like the when he got on the shoulders and hit the reverse runner, like JR and every, a lot of people on commentary was getting really into the match and they were talking about this is a match of the year candidate and we're only a week in to the year and I definitely think people will be talking about this match come the end of the year. And yeah, I like the storyline points that you mentioned the, with AAA and the, the tournament and it, it was nice of Pat to remind us of this when he announced that it was going to be Phoenix versus K Omega for the title because like when Pat first came out you think, oh, Pat's going to challenge him. And it was kind of nice Consider of somebody who calls himself a bastard to let somebody else go before them for a title shot and also like that John Moxley didn't get involved until after the match because he came out and said like I want the belt back I worked too long to like establish this as a title with prestige and something worth fighting for I respect the belt too much to interfere and cost Phoenix his opportunity so I don't care who comes out of the match but I'm coming for Kenny afterwards regardless and so obviously he didn't get involved in the match, but you did have some slight shenanigans with John Callis, and then obviously the one with Angel, which no one kicks out of yet. And uh, it was such a good match, and like it was so good that I don't think people have, uh, I don't think the post-match bit overshadowed it, which sometimes when you've got a big post-match angle, you can, it can overshadow the match that preceded it. But I think, regardless of what happened afterwards, people will still be talking about this match for quite a while. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the only nitpicky thing that really stood out to me was during the pinfall for the uh, the one wing angel. It was like two and two and a quarter. And Ray Phoenix popped his shoulder up uh, as um, as the referee was counting. uh, I think it was Aubrey was the ref as she was counting uh, the third fall, like for the fall. And it's just it just sucks that that's the way that that the match sort of ends because you're just sort of like, I get what he was going for there, but he should have waited like an extra half a second before he did it. Um, mm. Cause there were, there were plenty of near falls during this match that like th- you could have counted that as a near fall. Yeah. Cause like earlier on, like that 
one I said we should have gone to the ropes and uh, Kenny Bear got his shoulder out. You know, they covered for that one, saying that, well, maybe he packed him two tails. That's how Kenny got his shoulder out. And then they tried to cover for this one where he got his shoulder up. But like, even in the replay, it made it look so much more obvious. Mm-hmm. And especially in the angle, it clearly looks like Aubrey, where she is, she should clearly be able to see his shoulder being off of the mat. Not just like his arm slightly up, his shoulder's like fully off the mat after the two count. No, his uh, hand sort of shot up. Like he mm-hmm. sort of like really did like the whole LOD kicking out at three thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I get what you say. Like, I get what they were going for, but Edge uh, didn't really work. And then also you had the post-match segment with uh, the Good Brothers coming in, which I think, given that the relationship with Don Callis, given that Good Brothers and Kenny are in the main event of uh, uh, Hard to Kill this Sunday, I think they were trying to create some intrigue. And now that the, the, the thing with the Bucks, they're trying to make you think, oh, maybe the Bucks will turn up at Hard to Kill. They won't. Yeah, we're but not going to get a run-in from Generation Me. <laughs> Even though they did tweet that picture a few weeks ago when Kenny the first did the angle with, uh, with Don. Although oh, yeah, them, yeah. Them, them running in and having a face-to-face with the machine guns again would be cool, even though there wouldn't be any fan support for that moment. But we'd all be in our collective homes going, oh, well, I remember 2010, those great matches. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as I you said... I remember. Um, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, as you said at the end, the Good Brothers ran out to beat down John Moxley, who has no friends. Um, and then the Young Bucks run out, and it looks like that they're going to, you know, save John Moxley and they're going to stand up for AEW. And then all of a sudden, Nick Jackson, uh, or no, Matt Jackson super kicks, I think it was Griff Garrison on their rampway. And as we go off the air, uh, the, it looks like the Bullet Club. It looks like the band is back together. The uh, the two they all too sweet as they go off the air, um, and that was uh, night one of New Year's Smash. Already announced for night two of New Year's Smash is that the Elite will be in action. We don't know yet what they form will. that think, will take. I think they've actually announced that it's actually not going to happen because uh, apparently uh, one of them is injured. I think it's Matt or Nick. One of them actually is injured. I think they've actually announced that that's actually not happened. Oh, see, I was interested because they, all they said was that the Elite were in action, so it could be Kenny and the Good Brothers. Maybe. So, who knows? But um, Chuck Taylor with Orange Cassidy is going to take on Miro in a singles match, and if Taylor loses, he has to become Miro's young boy until Sabian and Ford's wedding at Beach Break, which means shenanigans are popping for that wedding. I can't wait. Uh, Serena Deeb takes on Tay Conti for the NWA Women's World Championship. Uh, FTR takes on uh, Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy, and Marco Stunt with Luchasaurus at ringside uh, after a promo that they had this week where uh, Marco Stunt is a very, very angry, very angry young man. Um, And then Pac versus Eddie Kingston is going to take place and Darby Allin versus Brian Cage for the AEW TNT Championship is the main event. Uh, Looking pretty good for night two. Uh, Any of those matches that you're looking forward to in particular? Uh, I look forward to the, the TNT title match because apparently that's going to be the main event of night two, which is a good spot for that belt. You know, it's also the first. I think this, when Darby came out for the way in, which I'm glad we didn't go into that much detail about because it was kind of shit. Because, like, what are you going to expect? Like, oh, Brian Cage is 270 pounds. Are you expecting Darby to get up and be 271 pounds? It's not going to yeah, happen. For real. Like, and then, like, he came out, but Darby came out and said, like, 60 day title reign. But I'm pretty sure this is his first title defense. So, like, with full gear 60 days ago already, like, yeah. how, 
Jesus Christ. And then they had to think about it and do the exact same spot he's done the last three times he's appeared. Come he out. Just, he no. just walks out, gets fake snow in his hair that makes his hair look thinner than it is. And he just stands there and looks at people and everybody runs away. The man is 61 years old. What the fuck are you running away for? Kick him and in they the keep head. Showing, they keep showing the snow machines. Like, I know people realize it's not actually snow, but keep some illusion, for God's sake. And also, this Taz's son, Hook, by the way, looks like the evil clone of, of Dominic Mysterio. He's like Dominic Mysterio from the darkest timeline. When you actually <laughs> look at That's what he looks like to me. Uh, I heard that apparently the only reason this match for the NWA Women's State was happening is that it was meant to be Britt Baker v. Thunder Rosa. Uh, but apparently Thunder Rosa came in contact with someone who had COVID. Yeah. So she's isolating the now, and her ma- and now Britt Baker's doing a, a waiting room segment with Cody on Dynamite next week. But I look forward to seeing Sumer Deep because like she would have been a trainer in the PC, I think, when Ty Conti was there. So I'm assume- I'm hoping like some good chemistry between those two, and maybe some maybe AG uh, will get involved because they promised that the Dark Order would be around ringside. Uh, also, the Jungle Boy, do you see the thing about his new theme song that? Uh, Tony Khan bought the rights to. Yeah, what? What? I haven't heard it yet, though. It's like something called Tarzan Boy. I can't remember the name of the band, but I think he sang it one day on an episode of Dark, and then he came out to it. And apparently, it was a Christmas gift from like Tony Khan because he just bought the rights to it because he can. Like it was straight on called to all because a rich guy flex just buying the rights to a song. Yeah, in perpetuity as well. Like, <laughs> I mean, granted, it's the right way to do it, like he did with the Brody Lee song, the Tom Waits song that he used. But, like, fucking A, man. If he could start buying the rights for music, like, see how much WWE's charging for Say Yeah for FTR. Fucking hell. Could you imagine? Yeah. Um, okay. But uh, but uh, that's next week. Uh, and before we get going, I wanted to touch briefly on uh, WWE main roster stuff. Uh, this week, um, Apollo Crews faced off against the new Intercontinental Champion Big E for the big... Uh, for the big uh, Intercontinental Championship. That's what I'm calling it from now on. It's my story and I'm sticking to it. Um, <laughs> and uh, it ended briefly in a double pin, which I've gone back and looked at it. Uh, Apollo Cruz's shoulder was definitely up. Um, and it then restarted and uh, Big E uh, ended up winning the match. Uh, and that followed a Talking Smack segment with uh, Paul Heyman sort of dressing down Apollo Cruz. And I sent you this clip before we... Uh, got on the air and you had a chance to watch it. I had a chance to watch it. Holy shit. Fucking Paul mm-hmm. Heyman brought the fire. Uh, why don't you uh, walk the, the good people through that segment and uh, we'll talk about it briefly. Yeah, I didn't get to really see the match itself, but I saw like what happened and like the double pin. And then like, I see the kind of a, her Pollockers reacted after the match, after officially losing. And I, like, I got intrigued like, ooh, this may be teasing some bit of a heel turn for Apollo. And then I didn't see the talking smack segment until you sent it to me and just the way Paul Heyman just laying down basically saying like you're just like you lost and like you pinned but you pinned the champion like you should be the, the champion right now you're like shaking off you're letting him come in and take food off your death and then you're letting him and then just they bleed out which I'm assuming he's saying you're letting Biggie fuck your wife uh, and like Apollo Crews like the big complaint about him is that he's always smiling but like you look at him he's Physically, like basically, he's shaking. He's just, he wa- looks like he wants to leap across the desk and murder Paul Heyman. But the clip I watched it just kind of cuts out after that, so I'm assuming that's not what happened. But I really want to see where this goes. 
and heal Apollo Crews, I would be all about it, honestly. It would finally yeah. be something different for Apollo. And if he somehow got involved with Heyman, because, you know, I don't think they need to have strictly like a Samoan bloodline kind of thing. They can have him be welcomed as an ordinary member or extended member of the family. But just as long as he comes in, he's with Heyman and uh, like he acknowledges Roman. He can be kind of included in that group. I like would like them kind of pad out a little bit. And also the way Paul Heyman was saying, like, you can take my advice if you want, but listen to me as a guy who's, who's, who's been providing special counsel for a long time. And just like, Jesus, I forgot how good talking smack could be because I haven't actually watched it since it came back. But I remember like, God, this is what used, this is what used to happen every week. Remember like 2016, 2017, talking smack, like everybody was talking about it. Some weeks even more so than SmackDown itself. Yeah, and SmackDown was good at the time too. SmackDown mm-hmm. was very good at the time, but then Talking Smack was such a big deal because you had people like Baron Corbin sort of able to t- speak their mind. Obviously, the infamous Miz and Daniel Bryan segment, um, the Flat Earth uh, discussion that happened, <laughs> which infinitely gives me joy. I mean, all the time. It just makes me chuckle. Uh, Daniel Bryan for fucking <laughs> Daniel Bryan for president uh, at this point. Um, fucking. But this thing with Heyman is now because he's I think he's hosting Talking Smack some weeks. And every time he's on, at least one clip ends up going around the horn. And he's always says something. I think from a performance perspective, when Paul Heyman started out that segment and he goes, good to see your emotions are running high. He knew he was going to say, you're you're letting Biggie walk into your house, take your kids, fuck your wife, whatever the fuck he said. Like, mm. I think that from a performance perspective, if I were Paul Heyman, uh, and I don't uh, dream that I'm anything like him, but if I was in a similar sort of uh, environment, um, you decide certain things to say, especially with, like, Talking Smack being as loose as it is. Um, yeah, that it, it. I definitely think that that's when he decided to say that, and uh, I can't wait to see where that goes. Um, you did mention that you we're going to switch... Over back to Raw briefly before we end on uh, Roman and Adam Pierce, but uh, on Raw, um, Drew McIntyre successfully defended the WWE Championship against uh, uh, Keith Lee in what I understand was a pretty good match. Um, haven't watched main roster TV in a very long time. Don't plan on doing it anytime soon, especially with the emergence of Oldberg coming out and uh, pushing the Scottish psychopath down on his ass as we went off the air that night. But uh, I understand that you have a few things that you'd like to get off your chest about Bill. So uh, the floor is yours, Mr. McLeod. Uh, first off, I'd like to just put, put a positive thing in the about the human thing. Like, I didn't think anybody could fill in the, the shoes of co-hosts that Daniel Bryan left off the original talking smack, but Paul Heyman fills them nicely, and you know it's clear he's involved in Roman's creative, like as he does with anybody he's managing. But you look at the difference between Raw and SmackDown, you got to think how is Paul Heyman clearly not involved in creative when you look at how good SmackDown is compared to Raw, as we'll talk about later on with Roman and Adam Pearce. But uh, this segment, Goldberg, on behalf of myself, many of the fans who watch this segment, who are fans of Kevin Owens. Drew McIntyre, and especially Bray Wyatt, please, sir, go fuck yourself. And I understand that even at 50 years old, he could rip me apart with his bare hands if he wanted to. I accept that. It's just, you watch this segment, and he starts talking, and like, you can see where it's clearly going, where he's clearly about to say, 
you, you see some fans who popped when he came out. You look at the Thunderdome screens, look back at that segment. People are visibly shaking their heads and putting their thumbs in because they realise, like, oh, God, no, not again. They realise what's happening. And even, like, we hear, like, details of this about how this went long. Like, Drew was meant to say a promo about thanking the legends, and then Goldberg was meant to come out and say what he said. And then that leads to the confrontation. Apparently they were running short, so they were hoping that Goldberg would kind of ad-lib something. But no, Goldberg apparently came out and said exactly what he was meant to say, even though, like, Cousin Drew of, like, disrespecting legends, even though he said nothing of the sort. And then, so Drew had to ad-lib the line about fighting his dad, which somebody's put up a photo of Drew's dad being interviewed for W24, and he actually does look a bit like Goldberg. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's, and then just Goldberg just like, nah, just shoves Drew, like, what the fuck is that? You're maybe a you claim that you're a badass and you just shoved him. Like, what the hell was that? And, like, because it's at the Rumble, it gives me a bit of hope and given it's Drew and how well he's been built compared to a Bray or Kevin Owens, I have faith that Goldberg will go for a spear and, Roman, and Drew will counter it by kicking his face off. But, like, the idea of Goldberg, even at any point, considering the idea that, oh, maybe I should beat Drew McIntyre, is just an idea that deserves to be told fuck right off. Because, uh, like, you remember the story of him saying, like, oh, I need to beat Bray Wyatt because I'm a hero. I can't lose the supernatural creature, the fiend. Half the kids that watch the show don't know who you are. They weren't alive when you were wrestling. You're not their hero. Fuck off. I don't think yeah. I can say F off in any other way. So I, I've run out of ways to tell him to fuck off. I mean, hey, listen, I'm I'm with you. I have the fear, the overwhelming fear that we could be seeing Goldberg uh, come away with the WWE Championship. I hope that's not the case. Um, but we will see at the Royal Rumble. Speaking of things that we'll be seeing at the Royal oh, Rumble that we... Oh, sorry. Also, it seems weird that I'm advocating this given that there was a period where a lot of people didn't like him. What happened to Sheamus? Because like, Sheamus lost to Keith Lee. They spent weeks of establishing he and uh, Drew's friends, but nobody trusts Sheamus. So I assumed it was going to be Sheamus versus Drew at the Rumble. And then... Because like Keith Lee beat Sheamus to get his opportunity, so I assumed after like Sheamus would come out like, oh, I'll celebrate my pal's win, and then he would turn on him. But no, they just shoved Oldberg into the into this spot. What happened to Sheamus? There was somebody else getting screwed over by Buddy Goldberg. Also, Hulk Hogan going in and saying, oh, people are acting. Uh, I don't know why some of the roster are acting a bit cold towards me. Really, Hogan? You don't know why? I'm sure. I'm sure they think you're coming to take their spot. Fucking idiot. Yeah, come on, Terry, get your shit together. Um, so speaking of things that we'll be seeing at the Royal Rumble, um on SmackDown there was a gauntlet match that ended up with Adam Pierce, former five-time NWA World Heavyweights champion, um as the number one contender to the Universal Championship at the Royal Rumble. Uh, a lot of people are up in arms about this. I'm sort of intrigued to see what they're going to do and whether or not Adam Pierce is going to have some sort of like big rally right before Roman, you know, punches his face into his face. Um, I, I, I listen, I, I am reserving judgment until after the rumble, I, I guess until after SmackDown just to see what's going on here. Uh, they screw apparently Shinsuke Nakamura decided to like show up with his working boots on during that match and like, you know, really put in sort of an effort that ended up being futile because he got his face super kicked and Superman punched off, therefore leading to 
uh, Adam Pierce and Roman at the Rumble. So, I mean, Scott, what do you think about this Adam Pierce versus the head of the table, Roman Reigns, situation that we found ourselves in? Are you reserving judgment? Or are you more, like, uh, cautiously optimistic, so to say? I'm, I'm actually more intrigued about this, about the possibilities of where this could go. So I definitely think Roman, with his matches, he's more of a story teller with these, these his universal title matches, you know, stuff with Jay, even the Kevin Owens stuff, even though they had a good like uh, match at TLC, which feels like forever ago, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it really does. Still a really good story. And then they basically, you got Roman after he took out Kevin Owens the other week, uh, basically blaming Adam Pearce for, like, you're the one who let him go out there. You're supposed to be his friend. You should have stopped him. And then putting Adam Pearce in the, the gauntlet match after and Nakamura had a really good performance. I haven't seen the match, but I've heard really good things about it. And I've seen a lot of people thinking that Nakamura's actually turning face. And now he's got that match on this coming SmackDown against Jey Uso. It's kind of getting, it's kind of looking for like payback for uh, what happened. And, you know, it's left a lot of people intrigued you know what's going to happen in this match, you know. Like, because I've seen some stuff him as Scrapper and Adam Pearce, you know, most of the time NW champion. He had a feud with Colt Cabana over the title. Uh, back in like the early 2010s, I've seen some stuff from that. So, but like, obviously, he's obviously been out of the ring for quite a while. So, it'll be interesting how he's presented in this. Is he going to be like showing him a lot about from what he was like when he was in the ring, or is he going to be like now Sami Zayn for a while was like when he was managing Cesaro and, Sh- and Shinsuke was presented as basically manager who can like occasionally wrestle or doesn't want to wrestle. Uh, as opposed to like the actual wrestler Sammy that he'd been before then, so but I'm interested. I'm interested to see what they're going to do with it because like I don't think it'll be more of a storytelling match. Where we'll get some brief flurries for ultimately being defeated by Roman, and like also so like you got two different like matches for the Rumble. You got a spectacle basically the match to bring in like casuals with Goldberg, and then you got more of a storytelling driven match with this one. And like some of the guys I was talking to about Shinsuke are really like optimistic about what Shinsuke's gonna do now is like it's just gonna lead to a second wave for Shinsuke. And like some people think given it started with a gauntlet, is he gonna get the Kofi Kingston treatment? Like going into WrestleMania, like Nakamania running wild. Nakamania running wild. <laughs> Jesus. Uh it, could you imagine if mm-hmm. all of a sudden Shinsuke just wakes up for the year? Um but I mean, anyway Paul Heyman's involved and if it's got Roman in it, Paul Heyman will be involved so Paul Heyman directed in the direction of Shinsuke Nakamura. I mean, I'm all there. I'm all here for them. Yeah, I mean, hey, I mean, we'll see what goes on uh, this Friday on SmackDown. This upcoming Monday on Raw. Uh, Night 2 New Year's Smash is uh, this week. NXT returns back to normal sort of, uh, you know, operating circumstances this week as well. The Dusty Classic starts up. Lots going on. But for now, that was your grapple update. Uh, Scott, tell the people what you got going on. Uh, I was going to say, just a lot of people worry when it comes to the Rumble that they're going to get somebody they don't want winning the Rumble. I think that's why they put Goldberg in a spot in the Rumble, so that people forget about the possible outcome, disappointing outcome of the Rumble and think about the disappointing outcome of a WWE title match. Because, you know, they said in the past, nobody really tunes into the Rumble for the title matches, they tune in for the Rumble matches themselves. Uh, so, you know, that's my, my take on it. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at ScottMcLeod1996. Uh, follow my other podcast, Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast at SB Rambling. We're going to have some 
kind of a two-part recap, given everything that happened in Impact, I've kind of fallen behind, so we're going to talk about uh, the last few weeks with Final Resolution in Genesis, and then sometime uh, next week, we're going to do part two, we talk about Hard to Kill, with everything going on there, with the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega, the knockout tag titles, that barbed wire massacre match that's happening with between Sammy and Eddie Edwards, and also the fact that uh, uh, Ethan Page is fighting his own alter ego, the Karate Man, uh, in some sort of cinematic match, which is weird. But then you can also check out on the FTYT uh, YouTube channel, the Star Wars charity gauntlet. I was involved in it. We raised a good amount of money for charity uh, for children first. Uh, but you can check it out if you love your, your Star Wars and try and test your dollars, see how you would have fared. And obviously, uh, here on Rogue Pains, at Rogue underscore Pains, Twitter and Instagram, and check out the other stuff that me, me and Jimmy, all the other group updates and the stuff we done with Nathan. You can check out our previous booking videos because we're going to be doing a new, another one about the Royal Rumble some point in the near future. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you can find me over on Twitter at Mr. Riot. That's M-R-R-I-0-T because Counter-Strike was a thing when I was a kid, ladies and gentlemen. But also, more importantly, you can go over to uh, at Wrestling Magic on Twitter. Give give us a follow over there because our biggest show of the year is coming up in from the time of recording five days, January 15th, Kingdom Come 5. We are holding a tournament, a one-night special tournament to, to find a new Dark Arch champion after the Meadowlands monster had his title stripped from him after the events of This Is Magic. Uh, and that can be found on Fight. Also, that can be found on Fight is our last show that happened. Uh I, I believe it was Card Subject to Change. Yeah, Card Subject to Change happened uh, just last month. This month is Kingdom Come 5. Both shows are $9.99 on the Fight app. Please go and join us over there. Let us know what you're thinking of the show because uh, we're putting our heart and soul into it. And we want to make sure that you guys are enjoying it as much as we are. Also, go on YouTube.com forward slash Pro Wrestling Magic. And uh, just find, just, just let us know what you think. I'm going to be on commentary with Ace Romero. From Impact, ladies and gentlemen, I cannot wait for you guys to see what we did for Kingdom Come 5 and beyond. So go and join us there in the Pro Wrestling Magic Kingdom. But for uh, over here at Rogue Opinions, that's Rogue underscore Opinion on Twitter if you didn't catch it the first time. Scott said it. We are done here. That has been your grapple update. So in the words of Yakko Warner, good night, everybody.